0: Greetings friends and welcome to another podcast from the heart of Spurgeon. My name is Jeremy Walker and you can follow along our reading scheme for reading through the sermons of Charles Haddon Spurgeon either on Twitter at Reading Spurgeon or you can sign up for a weekly newsletter at the Media Gratiae website. Just find the heart of Spurgeon Under podcasts, and there'll be an opportunity to sign up there, and you'll get a weekly email with the sermons for the week and the particular sermon which each week we study. This week we've been reading from sermon ninety-four through to sermon one hundred, and our chosen sermon for this week is number ninety-eight, "Making Light of Christ," preached on August seventeenth, eighteen fifty-six, at Exeter Hall on the Strand. Spurgeon's text on this occasion is Matthew 22 verse 5, but they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. Now Spurgeon's concern on this occasion is primarily evangelistic and in the course of this sermon he's going to give us a wonderful example of what it is to uh, perhaps peel back the layers of the human heart. He's going to give us an example of how we ourselves can make Christ known, whether we are preachers ourselves or if we're dealing with friends or family, colleagues or neighbours, whoever it may be. And almost incidentally, but it's never really incidental, is the, <coughs> the glory of the Christ who is being despised and made light of. So that in the background. Uh, all the way through and pressing sometimes into the foreground, there'll be a presentation of Jesus that makes this making light of him uh, clearer in its in its own ugliness and misery. So Spurgeon begins uh, by telling us that man's not changed much since the days of Adam. In other words, our human nature has not altered over the centuries, and. Uh, Therefore, we still need to preach the same truths now as he did then, as had been preached in the days of the apostles, as needed to be preached all the way from the beginning. A gospel for salvation that you should never do the devil's work by excusing sinners in their sins. Now, he talks about a certain class of Calvinists who are happy to do that, and he's speaking primarily of what are sometimes called hyper-Calvinists, those who, uh, as Spurgeon frames it, are ready to excuse sinners in their sins, essentially say, uh, well, that's not your problem, that's just what you are, and you shouldn't in any way expect to make any response of your own. Now Spurgeon, as you well know, I hope, is going to be always emphatic about the sovereignty of God in salvation, but a doctrine of sovereignty that removes any notion of human responsibility is not part of Spurgeon's creed because he doesn't find it in the Bible. And so he's going to speak directly to sinners, not to excuse them in their sins, but to expose them in their sins. And he's going to ask three questions which he intends to answer. First, what is it that the sinner makes light of? Then how does he make light of it? And thirdly, why does he make light of it? And then he's going to close with a general observation or two. So you already begin to see how he's going to dig down through the layers and make sure that we don't have any hiding places. This is also good for Christians because even though we may not be making light of Christ uh, with regard to salvation itself, too often there creeps into our souls a a carelessness, a thoughtlessness, a distance even from our Saviour. So it will help us too to be pressed back toward Christ Jesus. So the first of those three questions what is it that the sinner makes light of? Now in the parable to which Spurgeon is referring, Matthew 22, uh, the opening verses, the person alluded to made light of a marriage banquet which a king had provided with all kinds of dainties to which they were freely invited and from which they willfully absented themselves. The spiritual meaning of this is easy to discover. Sinners who make light of Christ express their contempt of a glorious banquet which God has provided at the marriage of his son. So there, just in a few words, Spurgeon is framing the whole uh, exegetical foundation for this sermon. You have a, a parable about a great banquet and there are people who are invited to the banquet and they make light of the opportunity. The parallel is that people are invited to the the, the wedding banquet of God the Son by the Father, and they themselves make light of, despise, neglect, or express their contempt for that feast. And so on that basis, Spurgeon is going to now look at this issue of what it means to make light of these things. And here then, are some of the things that the sinner makes light of when he turns his back upon this gospel offer? First, the sinner makes light of the messenger who brings him the news that the marriage supper is prepared. Every sinner who neglects the great salvation of Jesus Christ makes light of the gospel minister, which is no little insult to God's in God's esteem. In other words, if the preacher is a true ambassador, of Jesus Christ, then to reject the preacher is to reject Christ himself. And that is not a little thing in God's estimation. And the parallel with a national ambassadors is well made by Spurgeon, that we are offended if one of our ambassadors is ill-treated in the court of another nation, God is offended when his ambassadors, Christ's ambassadors, are ill-treated by those to whom he sends them. These people also despised the feast. What they were offered by the messenger On behalf of the Master. They didn't go to it. They weren't interested in it. And Spurgeon immediately begins to plead, Oh, sinner, when you neglect the great salvation, remember what you do despise. When you make light of God's gospel, you're making light of justification by faith. You make light of washing in the blood of Jesus. You make light of the Holy Spirit. You make light of the road to heaven. And then you make light of faith and hope and love. You make light of all the promises of the eternal covenant, of all the the glorious things that God has laid up for them that love Him, and of everything which He has revealed in His Word as being the promised gift to those who come, who come unto Him. It's a solemn thing to make light of the Gospel, for in that Word, God's spell, good tidings, is summed up all that human nature can require, and all that even the saints in bliss can receive. So if you're a believer, you're rejoicing now because you have received these things. But if you're a sinner, this is what you are turning your back upon. It's madness, says Spurgeon. It's worse than folly. What are you doing by turning your back upon such mercies and glories? But more than that, these are people who are making light of the king's son, not just the the blessings that are found in the salvation that Christ accomplishes, but the Christ who accomplishes salvation himself. That Christ, says Spurgeon, before whom glorious cherubs bow themselves, at whose feet the highest archangel thinks it is happiness to cast his crown. What a solemn thing to make light of Christ. But they make light of the king too, and there's a, there's a sense in which he's, at least at this stage, climbing up, not just the, the messenger from the king, not just the feast that the king prepares, the king's son, and now the king himself. It is he who has prepared this banquet. And he talks about the, the nonsense of those who say, well, I'm going to follow God, but I don't care about Christ or, or the gospel. Or I'm a natural religionist. You insult the Almighty when you insult or deny His Son, says Spurgeon. Despise a man's offspring, and you're insulting the man Himself. Unhappy souls, most unhappy must you be if you live and die making light of Christ and preferring anything else your farms, your merchandise, your business, your home, your whatever you may be interested in to the treasures of this gospel. And then he spreads it out a little bit, having risen to that pinnacle. The, the light, the, the great solemnities of eternity are made light of. You're making light of hell and of heaven. You're ignoring the, the fact that there is an eternity either of bliss or of woe for your undying soul. Every man who makes light of religion makes light of these things. He misjudges the value of his own soul, says our preacher, and the importance of its eternal state. So Spurgeon's heaping up the weight here upon our shoulders. This is what you are despising when you turn your back upon the gospel, upon the the offer of Jesus Christ in salvation, with all the blessings that are found in him from God. And now to the next level. How is it that men make light of it? If these are the things that we will reject or despise, how do we do it? Well, he says, first of all, it's making light of the gospel and of the whole of God's glorious things when men go to hear and yet do not attend. How many frequent churches and chapels, he says? How many spend their time there regularly to indulge in a comfortable nap? think what a fearful insult that is to the king of heaven. Many who go to our houses of worship, he says, don't sleep, but they do sit with a vacant stare, listening as they would to a man who could not play a lively tune upon a good instrument. What goes in at one ear goes out at another. And I think every faithful preacher would tell you with grief that he he looks out no matter how large or small the congregation and he sees some who sleep and some who stare. We are bringing the word of life uh, and you might see it yourself. You might have seen your children or or a friend come in and, and they're just paying no attention whatsoever and it grieves your soul because you've got the opportunity and yet not that you're neglecting it. Oh, my hearers, says Spurgeon, you're guilty of making light of God's gospel when you sit under a sermon without attending to it, without paying attention to it. What would lost souls give to hear another sermon? That's a telling thought, isn't it? How many of those in hell who have perhaps been brought up under the sound of the gospel would give whatever they might in order simply to hear the gospel offered to them again at a time when they might take it? But Spurgeon goes on. Some hear the word and attend to it, but they're paying attention to something else with it. They've got a divided heart. He who gives Christ a little of his affections, says Spurgeon, makes light of Christ, for Christ will have the whole heart or none at all. He who gives Christ a portion and the world a portion despises Christ, for he seems to think that Christ does not deserve to have the whole. So to divide your heart between the the religious and the profane, to take religion seriously at some times and to be careless or frivolous at others is actually to say Christ is not worthy. I don't need him. He's not my all in all. I don't need to pay this great attention to him. But others make light of Christ who make a profession of religion and yet do not live up to it. Spurgeon speaks here to people who are in churches and members of them who want what he calls a great deal of sifting. We have an immense quantity of chaff now mixed with the wheat and sometimes I think we have something worse than that. We have some in our churches that are not so good as chaff for they do not seem to have been near the wheat at all. They are nothing better than tares. Here is Spurgeon speaking to those who are really hypocrites. They are happy to wear the cloak of religion, but they have no heart for religion. What was intended to be profitable, profitable to the soul is used to a personal advantage. Now, that's not true in every place. Uh, in some places, there's no social value, no cultural cachet in being uh, thought of as a Christian. But there are still places where a little religion, a little bit of church going, a reputation as a church man or woman will do us some good. We like to be well thought of. And if that's all religion does for us, then we are despising Jesus Christ, especially if, having taken to ourselves the reputation of someone who follows him, that we then spend our whole lives seeking after the things of this world. This is to despise the majesty of God and Christ. And so just very briefly there from Spurgeon, those three things, making light of the gospel by hearing but not paying attention, by paying attention to something besides the gospel with a divided heart, or by making a profession of religion and yet not truly seeking after and following after Jesus Christ. But why then? Why do people, why do sinners, why do you and I perhaps, why have we in the past made light of the gospel? Why have we had no regard for Christ in this way? Spurgeon offers several possible reasons. Because of ignorance, because of pride, because of unbelief, because of worldliness, because of thoughtlessness, because even of presumption or perhaps commonness of the gospel. And you can see here he's casting with a wide net. He's spending a lot of time here making sure that all these different refuges, remember he wants to leave sinners no excuse, so he's taking away these excuses as to why someone might make light of the gospel. First of all, ignorance. They didn't know the goodness of the feast or the graciousness of the king or the fairness of the prince or they they might have thought differently. And Spurgeon says if you don't understand it, then you might then make light of it. He, He wants you to understand and he pleads with people here. Dear friends, if you once knew, if you only knew what a blessed master Christ is, if you only knew what a blessed thing the gospel is, if you could once be brought to believe what a blessed God our God is, if you could only have one hour's enjoyment such as the Christian experiences, if you could only have one promise applied to your heart, you would never make light of the gospel again. He's saying don't remain ignorant. Come, come to God in Christ. Taste and see that the Lord is good don't neglect what's held out and as soon as you've got any spiritual sense under God of what is at stake then you would never make light of him again so already there's a an element of pleading that's being turned into this and again this is stirring the heart of any christian who's hearing or reading this yes this is the blessedness of being a christian this is the beauty and the glory and the majesty and the excellence of our god and his christ and this gospel and all its mercies and all the blessings we enjoy you can almost uh, feel i hope people sort of putting themselves in and behind Spurgeon on this and, and, and willing him on, this is my Christ, my savior, my salvation. They were ignorant and therefore they neglected these things. Don't then be ignorant, taste and see. Other people make light of the gospel because of pride. They don't think they need it, they don't want it, they've got no regard for it. It's an insult to them to be told that they need to be washed, they need to be cleansed, they need to be forgiven. They think so highly of themselves that they think there's, there's nothing but an insult in being told that they need to come to the feast. They think that they are full, they think that they are clothed and therefore a feast and the wedding garment is nothing to them. Oh, flee from such pride, says Spurgeon, because you'll incur the guilt of making light of Jesus Christ. Others, he says, made light of the good news because they did not believe the messenger. Stop a moment, they said. A dinner given away? I don't believe it. What, the young prince going to be married? Tell that to fools. We don't believe any such thing. What, we all invited? The story is incredible. And so the poor messenger says, they're not listening to me, to his master. He goes and says, why will they not pay attention to me? It's it's too good to be true. Isn't that what we sometimes still say? Too good to be true. And tragically for some people, the gospel is too good to be true. And so they despise the gospel because they do not believe it. Oh, but if, says Spurgeon, and here again is his emphasis on God's sovereignty, only let me have the solemn conviction in my heart by the Holy Spirit that if unsaved there's a gaping gulf that shall devour me, and do you think I can go to rest till I have trembled from head to foot? Only let me believe heartily that there is a heaven provided for those who believe on Christ, and do you think I could give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids till I have wept because it is not mine?' There are no unbelievers, no infidels in hell. All are believers there. There were many infidels here who are not so now. The flames are too hot to make them doubt their existence. Spurgeon here is saying, believe this true message. You can imagine perhaps the prayers that he's raised to heaven beforehand, that people would receive what he is saying another set of people. They're too worldly to believe it. They've got too much to do. They've got too many things to bother them, too many things taking up their time, too many things that demand all their attention. Spurgeon says that in London, many men worship the almighty sovereign, and he's referring there to a a, a precious coin of the time. That's the sovereign that they're really interested in, not the God of heaven. The prayer book is actually their cash book and even on Sunday they're pursuing wealth. They have no time for the gospel, no time for the Bible, no time for God, time for all these other things but no time for him. Worldliness, says Spurgeon, is a demon that's wrung the neck of many souls. God grant that we may not perish through our worldliness. But a further class of people, who are simply thoughtless. They just don't think or care or have any regard for true religion whatsoever. Their minds flit from one thing to another. I like, he says, sometimes to get under the word, though, one of this class. Uh, I like a thoroughly stout, stiff, hater of the gospel, for his heart is like a flint, and when it's struck with the hammer of the gospel, the flint goes to pieces in a moment. That's somebody who's against the gospel but the thoughtless people have India rubber hearts. You hit them and they give way. You strike them again and they give way. So you see now these, these two different characters of people. On the one hand, Spurgeon says, if I've got somebody who's resentful, who's angry, who's resistant, then I know that the gospel hammer might strike and smash that person. But the careless, the thoughtless person, it it bounces off their hearts. There's nothing that seems to stick, nothing that seems to have any impact. You're an empty chrysalis, he says, and when you come to God's house and his word is preached, you make light of it because it's your habit to be thoughtless about everything. So the thoughtless person is the, the rubbery hearted man but the stout, stiff haters of the gospel, they sometimes, because they are thinking about it, will respond when it is preached. And then there's those who make light of the gospel out of sheer presumption. They just think they're going to be fine. They have no need for Jesus Christ. They're persuaded that all is well with them, and if they believe they have one, with their souls. And then, last of all, those who make light of Christ because of the commonness of the gospel. Now again, that would be very true of Spurgeon's Day. It may not be so true of you or me, where God has put us in time and space. But again, there will be places where the gospel is readily available that there are uh, Bibles that are on every bookshelf, Bibles in every bookshop. It's it's true in most of the, the modern West. You can get a Bible anywhere that you want one. It's true across uh, Europe, across America, true in other parts of the world, uh, uh, Australia. Uh, there are places where they don't have the Bible. We do, but we don't care about it. If there were only one Bible, he says, in London, I believe you'd be rushing to hear that Bible read. But because it's all around you, there's perhaps a church on every corner, there's a Bible on every bookshelf or in every bookstore, you can still buy it. Even Amazon haven't cancelled it yet from their, their shopping lists. But why wouldn't you? Because you think it's just there if you need it. You think the less of the sun because he scatters his beams abroad, asks Spurgeon? You think the less of bread because it's the food God gives all his children? You think the less of water when you're thirsty because you can drink from every tap or stream? No, if you were thirsty after Christ, you'd love him all the better because he is preached everywhere. This perhaps is a a, a trouble of sorts for Christians. We're just so accustomed to Christ. We go to church Sunday morning and Sunday evening. We have our Bibles in our homes. We've got podcasts. We've got uh, sermon broadcasting on live stream and recording on any number of different websites or uh, phone applications. We're awash with gospel. Is there a danger that because of its commonness will come to disregard it? And so Spurgeon now loads up his application. How many of my hearers tonight, I ask again, are making light of Christ? You see how he's pulled back the layers, and perhaps this is something that we could do better when we're telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ to think through why have you no regard for him is it for this reason 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 and and to be ready then to to pull back those layers for ourselves to to press into the the deepest parts of the conscience to remove the excuses that people make if if you talk to people on the streets, on the doors, you'll hear people say, oh, I'm just too busy, or, I don't have time, or I'm all right, or whatever it may be. And, and there are those who think that they're religious and they don't need anything extra, either some false religion or a false version of true religion. And here Spurgeon is teaching us, no, don't give up, don't let them get away with that. Don't let them make those excuses. Come to them. Are you making light of Christ? Do you truly esteem him? It will go hard with you if you have despised Christ, he says, and shall die a despiser. Now, in the pulpit, you can't have that same dialogue. Uh, in the same way, outwardly, openly. But Spurgeon's effectively dialoguing with his congregation and asking, are you in this category? Are you in this category? Are you in this category? Is this how you're thinking? Is this what you feel? Is this your assumption? And he's effectively taking away those excuses. And so he speaks to them. Mark this man's word tonight. Go away and laugh at it. But remember, I say to you again, it will be a solemn thing for you when Christ shall come to judgment, if you have made light of him, and worse than all, if you should ever be locked up in the caverns of despair, if you should ever hear it said, Depart, you cursed, if you should ever mingle your awful shrieks with the doleful howls of lost myriads, if you should see that the pit is bottomless, and the gulf that has walls of fire, it will be a fearful thing to find yourself in there and to know that you you can never get out again. As so often, Spurgeon brings his hearers face to face with judgment and damnation, and he says, if you laugh at me now, this is what you will face, and you will not be laughing then. Oh, believe then, he says, and to believe is to put your trust in Christ. To be baptized is to be plunged in water in the name of the Lord Jesus as a profession that you are already saved and that you love Christ. And so he that believes and is baptized shall be saved and he that believes not shall be damned. Perhaps if you're reading through these sermons, you're struck by how often Spurgeon ends on that note. And he pleads here. May you never know the meaning of that last word, that word damned, and then bids his farewell. What a wonderful example to the preacher. What a a help to those who are seeking to make Christ known in their families or among friends or on the streets or whatever it may be. What a incidental reminder of the beauty and the glory and the majesty of the Jesus whom we esteem and the wonders of mercy and grace in God's gospel holding Christ out to us. And what a good example of what it means to plead for souls as those who recognize their value. May God help us to recognize this language, to understand the meaning of salvation and damnation, that we may seize the one by God's grace and flee the other and never come to know by experience what it means to be cast out and brought low and damned by the God of heaven and earth. May God help us to take these things to heart. Amen. This is From the Heart of Spurgeon with me, Jeremy Walker. I hope that today's podcast has been a blessing to your soul. If you would like to share that blessing with others, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast app, especially if you live outside the United States. It makes a genuine difference. Thanks very much for listening.